message, so hopefully you've enjoyed it. We had a lot of good feedback and very cool stories and emails, how God is using you to be the message and how your eyes have been opened to folks around you and how God has divinely appointed, uh, given you divine appointments at different times to, to share and to be encouraging to, to, uh, to folks around you. And so it's great. Uh, we pray that the stories keep flowing into uh, your life and that you're able to continue to touch the lives of folks. So today we're going to wrap up and we're going to look at an Old Testament character, um, Moses. Moses is probably best known for being Charleston Heston, right? Is that, is that it? Right? So that's when you think of Moses, you think of him. And you think of this, you know, strong, handsome person. Uh, and you, lock, you watch those movies uh, different times and... It, he comes across as bold, he comes across as confident, he comes across as a person who really knows what he's doing. Uh, the problem with that is that's not really the picture of, of him in Scripture. Uh, Moses is a person who's filled uh, with insecurities. Uh, he's a person who uh, doubts God. He's a person who questions whether God can give him guidance and direction. There's times in his life where he wonders what to do. He's not even sure what to do. His background isn't exactly stellar. Uh, he is a murderer, and he is on the run. Uh, he is, uh, was kind of adopted, if you will. He's a, he's a Jew by birth, and his, uh, is abandoned at birth, and he's placed in Pharaoh's, uh, finds him and begins to raise him. So he's raised as an Egyptian, as someone who has uh, royalty and the, the privileges of royalty. And yet he's a Jew, and of course the Jews are enslaved to the Egyptians, and so it's kind of a conflict that he's wrestling through uh, in his life. And so today I want to share a little bit about him and a, uh, about us and look at activating our, our mission in life, to be on mission with God as he goes. And there's three steps in which we find in the life of Moses as he begins to run forward and begins to be used by God. And so let's just kind of back up a bit and just kind of give you a little bit about what we're going to walk into in, in Exodus chapter 3. Moses was the prince. He had all the privileges. He had wealth. He had fame. He had all the privileges of royalty. And he watched his people, who were Jewish, he watched his people be enslaved to the Egyptians. And as time went on, as he was growing old, it wore on him. It, he had a lot of problems, a lot of struggles with watching how the Egyptians were treating the Jewish people and how they were slave drivers, essentially. And it, it troubled him. And one day he watches an uh, Egyptian begin to abuse a Jew, and he had enough of it. So he decides that he's going to go and he's going to straighten things out. And so he goes over. And he looks around, there's nobody around, and he kills the Egyptian. And the next day, there's two Jews who are fighting. And he walks over to break that fight up. And he breaks up the fight, and the two Jews say to him, are you going to kill us like you did the Egyptian yesterday? And he recognized that he had been found out. He didn't kill in, in a place where he was going to get away with it. And so he runs. He leaves and he heads into the, into the mountains to get away from Pharaoh, to get away from, ultimately, perhaps could be the end of his life. 
He finds a wife, actually a wife, uh, he finds a man who gives him a wife. And he begins to be a shepherd opposed to a king or a prince. He begins to be a shepherd. And so if you have your Bibles, Exodus chapter 3, and that's where we're going to pick up. So imagine that he leaves his life of privilege. And as he flees, he has what he has on. He didn't bring anything, no, no clothes, no money, no, just whatever he had on, he flees into the mountains. And there, as he finds himself, he, he calls himself a foreigner in a foreign land because he's Jewish, and yet he feels like he's not in place. And so he flees, and there he begins to uh, give water, and he finds a wife and, and all that stuff. And here's where we pick up in Exodus 3, verse 1. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, so he, get, he gets married, uh, his father-in-law, a priest of Midian, um, and he led the flock to the far side of the desert. So he goes as far away as he possibly can. He goes to this place that's called the mountain of God. In verse 3, an angel of the Lord appears to him in a flame. Okay? So as he's tending the flock... He looks across and there is a flame that's burning. And if you, you know, you watch the movie and it shows like this little tumbleweed that's on fire. We're not exactly sure what exactly it was other than it was some type of bush that was on fire. And yet the fire wasn't consuming the fuel to it. The bush, the tree, whatever it was, it was not burning up. It was just, the fire was just raging. And so obviously it catches his attention. And so Moses, he saw, he, he saw the fire and it wasn't burning it up. And so he heads over there in verse 3. So Moses thought, I'll go over there and I'll see the strange sight. And while the bush was not burning up, and then in verse 4, right? When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him within the bush. And then I want you to circle those two words, the, his name, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here I am. Verse 5, do not come any closer. Now, <laughs> if that was me, right, and that wasn't Moses, God wouldn't say, hey, hey, Dan, don't come any closer. You know what God say to me? Hey, Dan, come on back here, right? Because if the fire is talking and it's not consuming, I'm out of there, right? I'm, I'm heading out of there. So for whatever reason, Moses, Moses was mesmerized, and God says to him, hey, don't come any closer, take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy ground, verse 6. Then he said, I am the God of your father, and then he leads the, names the three rock stars in the Jewish faith, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. <clears throat> Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God, verse 7, and the Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of the people uh, 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 of my people in Egypt. I have heard their crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. All right. So God gets Moses' attention, and what's interesting here is here you have Moses who's fleeing from a murder scene, and he's going to try to get away as far as he can because he doesn't want to get killed by pharaoh and he is probably in his mind thinking how far can i get away from god where god's not going to know what's going on and i can be in complete isolation and yet god says to him moses moses god knew exactly where moses was at 
God had his number. He had his name. He knew exactly where he was at, right? And that same God knows where we're at today. We may be in isolation. We may be running. We may not be wanting to follow God, and we, don't, we may not want to be on mission with God. And yet as we sit here today, God knows your name. He knows your number. He knows what you're going through. And so as Moses begins to try to get away, God gets his attention. And then he gives him three steps that's going to begin to put him on mission with God and ultimately lead the children of Israel out of captivity. So let's take a look at the three steps. Number one is embrace God's calling. Moses embraced God's calling, and it's a, a calling that we need to embrace as well. In verse uh, in chapter uh, eight or verse chapter three verse eight, here's it goes on and it says this. So I've come down to rescue uh, them from the land of the Egyptians and to bring them out to the land into and then I want you to highlight a couple words here into a good circle the word good or highlight the word good and spacious land circle those two words spacious land and then he gives a description of what that land's going to be. It's going to be a land flowing with milk and honey. And then if you skip down to verse 10, and he says, so to, he, tells, he tells him now, so go now, I'm sending you to Pharaoh <clears throat> to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. Okay? And, and so he understood, Moses understood what God was saying. He says to him, I'm going to give you good and spacious land. Okay, and as we sit here today, we're kind of like, well, what exactly does that mean? Well, symbolically in Scripture, when land was given, it was a sign of influence, right? And so it was a picture of influence. I'm going to give you, the Israelites, the Jewish people, I'm going to give you good and spacious land. I'm going to increase your influence in the world. Today, if we were to take it uh, today, you have the... the craziness that's going on in the Middle East with Syria. You have Russia in there. You have Iran in there. Now you've got Cuba in there. And I don't want to get political, but the reality is, is that someone's trying to expand their influence in the Middle East. Because if they can get land, land is expanding their influence. So whether it be in biblical times or current times today, the reality is true. And so what God is telling Moses is that he is going to, the Israelites are going to expand their influence in the world that's taking place at that particular time. And that calling is true to us. The whole series of Be the Messages, we are to expand our influence. We are to be the visible right, body of Christ to the world. We are to love the one in front of us. We are to take the message of Christ, his grace and his love, and we are to go out and we are to influence the world. We, we, are, we are not to impress the world, but we are to influence the world. So you see in your outline, I am called, you are called to influence. I am not called to impress. We are not called to impress people, but we are called to influence people. Whether that be our children, our grandchildren, our co-workers, our neighbors, our friends, we are called to influence them. Now as we sit here today, and it can be incredibly humbling if you have kids we are influencing our family for good or for bad, but you are influencing them, right? You are influencing your coworkers for good or for bad. They are watching you. You are influencing your neighbors for good or for bad. They're watching you. 
And we're called not to impress. See, that's what the world wants to do. The world wants to say, oh, look what I'm driving, look where I'm living, look what I'm flying, look what I'm wearing, look what I this, look at this. It, and that's, that's, to infl- uh, that, that's to impress them. But as followers of Christ, we're called to influence. We're, we're called to expand the kingdom of God in and through our life as we are the visible body of an invisible God in our world. Now, part of the goal of the, the churchwide campaign was community groups. And I shared with you, uh, it's one of the areas that we're going to look at and try to focus on both this year and next year and the years to come because we really feel like that the community groups are important for, for caring for folks, for getting folks connected with other people, and for uh, spiritual growth in their life. And so it's a, big, it's a big part of where we're going into the future. And, and I want to just read something to you that comes out of a book called Double 2.0. And it's in your outline. It's the power of influence through community groups. It says a community group of 10. So you've got 10 people, yourself, and nine other people. And that group doubles every 18 months. So that's actually not that difficult to do. That, that group doubles every 18 months. It will influence 1,000 people for God in 10 years. It's pretty incredible. Because, see, we sit here and we go, oh, you know, I, I, don't, know if I, can, I, I don't know if I can influence that many people. Join a community group. And then take that group, and in 18 months, it grows to 20 and you multiply. Now you've got two groups. And in 18 months, you multiply. You've got four groups. And in a 10-year period, that one group can give birth, right, and ultimately influence 1,000 people for the kingdom of God. Now you think, 10 years. Well, just go back 10 years, Right? I don't know if you know this, but time marches on, right? And it just, year after year, just in, unfortunately, the older you get, the quicker they come. Isn't that true? I mean, it just seems like I had my Christmas tree up. Doesn't it? That's because I still have it up in our living room. <laughs> I save a lot of time that way, so. Just kidding. Number two, the second thing is, Stop giving God excuses. Should I just pass on and move on? Yeah? And this is kind of interesting with, with Moses, uh, you know, when you think about it. Because, again, you, you watch the TV programs and the history programs and stuff, and there's this, you know, this macho, muscular holding up the staff, and he puts it in the sea parts, and he hits the rock with the staff, and water pour, pours out, and you go, man, what a follower of God that is. But the reality is, he was a backstepping, milly mouth. He had an excuse for everything why he couldn't do it. And so let's walk through them and see if you, if you wear any of these. Ready? Let's take a look. First excuse is this. I have too many faults. I mean, I just, hey, you don't want me up there because it's just, I got too many faults in my life. I got too many problems. I'm not talented. Uh, I got too many failures. I, I certainly don't want to talk about In Exodus chapter uh, 4, verse 10, Moses said to the Lord, O Lord, I have never been. Have you ever used that excuse? I can't do that. I've never been. And then he goes on, he says, eloquent. He says, "Neither, neither in the past nor in the future. Listen, when I was a kid, I stumbled and stuttered. And now that you spoke to me through the bush, I'm still stuttering and still, uh, I can't speak, but, 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 right? I mean, I just got too many faults in my life. It's absolutely impossible. 
And so here's what I like to say. Any excuse is a good excuse when you're looking for an excuse. Right? You want me to write that down? Any excuse is a good excuse when you're looking for an excuse. I mean, I I can't teach a Bible study. Well, why not? Well, because the Bible study material is made out of paper. And they're cutting down trees in the rainforest. Can you get me a roll of toilet paper, please? Some of you will go home and go, Oh, so you use toilet paper, huh? But not Bible study material. Of course, now we got e-books. Now what's your excuse? Yeah, but the e-books are made out of lithium batteries and that causes problems in the dumps. Right? Any excuse is a good excuse if you're looking for an excuse. And so if, if you're here today and you came to church looking for an excuse, why not to be on mission with God? I'm not going to change your mind. Because you're already convinced that's a great excuse. It could be as silly as all get out, but the reality is you're convinced of that. Second excuse. Well, what will people think? I mean, am I going to become one of these Jesus freaks? Am I going to be on the corner, turn or burn? You're going to hell. Beep, beep, beep. Blow your horn if you're going to hell. Beep, beep, beep. true some people think that right what are my co-workers going to think you know what i'll tell you what they're going to think when their life is in crisis you know who they're going to ask you to pray for them they may give you all kinds of lip in the meantime but as soon as their kids go off the rail or their marriage goes gets to gets into problem they're going to run to you hey can you pray for me oh you mean the jesus freak you want me to pray for you right so you, you, you just have to, you can't worry about what people think, right? If you, if you try to worry about what everybody is thinking about you, you're going to live in a prison and you're not going to have freedom because there's always going to be critics, right? And I've said this before, some of my greatest criticism as a young pastor came from the church, not from, my, not from my buddies that I ran with before I was a Christ follower. I mean, I had a pastor tell me, if you do the schooling that you're talking and doing, you will go and you will pastor a church on the other side of the hill and no one will show up. Welcome. <laughs> right? So if you try to worry about what everybody else is saying and talking to you, you're, you're going to be a basket case and you're not only not going to follow God, but you're going to live a miserable wreck yourself, your life. Right? You've you got you to realize you, you live for an audience of one, and that's all that matters. You're impressing him, and that's it. And so, and so he says to him in, in uh, chapter 4, verse 1, Moses says, well, <clears throat> what if they do not believe or listen to me? Right? What if they do not believe me or listen to me? If I go there, what are they going to say? They're going to go, Moses, you, aren't you a murderer? And you're saying, set my people free? You don't fit. We're looking for someone holy. Number three, I'm not spiritual enough. Verse 11, chapter 3, Moses says to God, Who am I, God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the, uh, bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And then verse 14, God says to Moses, I am who I am. In other words, Moses, listen, this isn't about you. This isn't about your skills, your ability, your smarts, your whatever. 
This is really about verse 14. This is about I am sent you. Right? And so when you think about being on mission with God and for God, if you sit around and you think about, am I qualified? Just FYI, none of us are qualified. And if you want to be a leader, you just need to be one step ahead of your people. And sometimes that one step for me is Sunday morning at 6 o'clock when I get here. One step ahead, that's all. Right? And so if you're sitting here and you're thinking, well, I'm not spiritual enough, I'm not qualified enough, I don't know enough, you know, welcome. There's plenty of room. There's plenty of room. If you think about this, every person who's serving in every church in this world, there was a first time for them, wasn't there? There was a first time that I stood up and spoke. There was a first time where I stood up and prayed in front of a corporate body. There was a first time that someone greeted. There was a first time that someone was in the nursery. There was a first time that someone worked the information table. There's a first time. Everyone has their first time. And so if you have this idea that, well, I'm not spiritual enough, let me just kind of say this to you. That is false humility. And it's actually filled with pride. Because you're not relying on God's ability to work in and through your life. You're relying on your ability. And so you just see your life, your, your world through your own eyes, not through what God can do. And then the fourth one is this. I'll sit this one out and let someone else do it. Verse 11, chapter 4. The Lord said to him, Who gave man his mouth? Who makes him deaf? Who makes him mute? Who gives him his sight? Who makes him blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Verse 12, Now go. And what will I do? I will help you speak, and I will teach you what to say. Verse 13, but Moses said, O Lord, please send someone else to do it. And verse 14, and the Lord's happiness was flowing from heaven. What's it say? The Lord's anger burned against Moses. Right? The Lord's anger burned against him. You know, in church we talk about our core value. One is spiritual growth, and we use the the visual of head, heart, and hands. If you're an authentic believer, right, you have the belief in your heart that translates into convictions, in, or belief in your head translates to convictions in your heart that ultimately reveals itself in its hands as a doer of the word, right? And, and so when we get the mindset and we say, you know what, I'll just let someone else do it, let me, let me just kind of say to you that, you know, you might need to check out and make sure that you have authentic faith, because you, you, might, you might just kind of believe, and I don't want to get into easy believism and all that kind of stuff, but, but the reality is, if, you, if you've met Jesus face to face, there's a conviction that his grace is amazing. And I am a servant, and he bought my life with his blood. And I'm going to serve him. And when we get to the idea that I'm just going to let someone else do it, we not only rob the body of believers, but we rob ourselves of the miracles that God wants to do in and through our life. And, and, and so we come around and we're just like, well, you know, I, I, I'm just going to, I did my time. Really? As far as I know, as long as you're here, 
God's not finished with you. The word retire is a vocational word that's invented. It is not a spiritual term. When you retire from this earth, we will all sing some songs, say some nice things about you, and you know my tagline, and go eat chicken. Right? Some of you, you'll catch that on your go home. You'll go, oh, oh, that's funny. You haven't been to a Christian uh, funeral. I was going to say wedding. It is a wedding, isn't it? You're in heaven, right? See, there's a difference in church life. We, we, we talk about taking membership class. And this is, I think, a, a little bit of a paradigm sh- shift that we're seeing. We, we talk about taking membership class. And we think of membership as rights and privileges. Right? I belong to a club. I'm a member of a club. Well, what does that mean? It means I have rights and privileges. See, as a, as a, as a believer in Christ, you, you, we really shouldn't use the word membership. You're, you're kind of an owner. You have responsibilities. You have responsibilities. See, when we, when we think about this, and what if on a Sunday, the band said, let someone else do it? Do you want to play? Well, what if on a Sunday I said, let someone else do it? I know there's some of you are like, finally, I'll get up and speak. We'll finally get a decent message. <laughs> right? Well, what, what if you, if you have preschoolers, what if you walked up there and there's a big sign that said, let someone else do it? Go back into children's church. Let someone else do it. See, so what, what if we did that? See, here's the danger. In a middle-sized church and even larger churches, it's easy to hide, isn't it? Let somebody else do it. We'll just kind of go in, kind of do that. Now, if you hung out with a person who every time you went to lunch with, they looked at you and said, hey, let someone else buy it. You know what you'd call that person? A freeloader. Serious, right? And then, and then the next week they say, hey, let's go to lunch. You know what you'd say? Busy. Let someone else do it, <laughs> right? But in church life, we do that, right? We just kind of give that idea of, hey, let someone else do it. And see, the, 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 where we don't recognize the chain of events that takes place, you know, we think of the stage as the important part. It's like, oh, you know, the, the, the music, the singing, the leading of worship in here, that's the important part. But the reality is there's other places in this church that are far more important than what I say. For, for a mom who's perhaps going through a difficult time, to know that she can take her kid into the preschool area or children's church area and know their kids are going to be taken care of, know their kids are going to be learning about Christ, be able to come in, take a deep breath, relax, and allow the Spirit of God to speak into their life and end up changing them. Your fingerprint, because someone was back there, because you're back there watching or, or helping out, uh, uh, in watching the kid, your fingerprint is on the mom who's sitting here whose life could be radically changed. Someone comes into church, right, and they look like a deer in a headlight, and you're nice enough to walk up to them because we're going to become the friendliest church on the wor- in the world. And you come up to them and you welcome them and say, hey, can I sit with you? Hey, can you want to go get a cup of coffee? And you take the edge off of them. And they come and they sit and their life could be radically changed. Your fingerprint is on that. See, we don't recognize the chain of events that could take place. And when we give it the, hey, let someone else do it, 
we're robbing ourselves of blessings. We're robbing ourselves of God using us. We may not be the one that leads them to Christ. But perhaps we're doing something else to facilitate where they're able to take the edge off of them, relax, and have a good time, and have God speak to them. And, and so as a, as a follower of Christ, when we think of the excuses, and you know, trust me, I've been this, doing this 24 years. I've heard them all. I heard them all. And that's why I came up with that line. Any excuse is a good excuse when you're looking for an excuse because I've had people look at me with just conviction in their heart and tell me the goofiest reason why they can't do something and have a hard time, me have a hard time not just laughing at them. Because like, you got to be kidding me. I am so grateful that Christ didn't do that to me. Aren't you? Aren't you? Number three. The third thing is you've got to give, uh, uh, give God what I'm holding on to. And let me explain this to you. In Exodus 4, verse 2, God asks Moses kind of a weird question. He says to him, he says, The Lord said to him, What's in your hand, Moses? And Moses says, i got a staff. Right? And you read that, and usually you race through to the part where he throws it on the ground and it turns into a snake because that's a cool story. And then he grabs the tail of the snake, he lifts it up, and it's a staff again. But you're missing the, 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 an important part of understanding what God is asking him. For a shepherd, a staff was a tool of protection. It was what he trusted in. It's what he put his faith in. It was, it was something that he would rescue his sheep who may have fell into a hole or into a creek. If there was a snake or if there was a wild animal, it would be used as a weapon to kind of poke at the thing to get it away from uh, its sheep. It was his security blanket. And God looks at him and he says, Moses, what do you got in your hand? Well, he couldn't say, it's my pacifier, Lord. It's my security blanket. It's what I'm trusting in. And so he says, it's my staff. And God says to him, throw it on the ground. And he throws it on the ground, and then you get the, the cool thing that takes place. It lands on the ground, it turns into a snake. God says to him, grab, it, but grab the snake by the tail. Okay? Well, no, I don't have my staff. I'm not grabbing a snake. No, you've got to trust me. You've got to trust me. Because before, if there was a snake, you would have taken your staff and you would have either killed a snake or flung it aside. You would have defended yourself. And now you stand here and you have nothing to trust in except for me. Grab it. And he reaches down and he grabs it and he lifts it up and it turns back into his staff. But that staff became a rod. And later, when you look through and there's a few passages of Scripture, in Exodus chapter 7, uh, verses 17, he, hit, he holds that staff and hits the, the Nile River and it turns into blood. Remember that? In Exodus 14, he, ri- he raises the staff above the sea and it causes the waters to part. In Exodus chapter 17, he hits the rock when they're thirsty. He hits the rock and water comes pouring out of it. It becomes a rod of God. Now let me tell you, every one of us, every one of us has something in our hand that we're holding on to. And here's what happens. 
When you live your life and you're on mission for God and you're holding that security blanket, that staff, in this case with Moses, that as you look at life, you look at life through the prism of that security blanket or that staff. And it's difficult to see and it's difficult to trust God in a greater way because what you see is that protection. This is what you trusted in. This is what you relied on. This is what you, what you put all your faith and everything into. And God is going to call every single person, if you're a follower of Christ, he's going to call every single one of us and he's going to say, throw down your staff. Stop allowing your security blanket. Stop allowing the, the, the possessions and the things that you're holding on to from trusting God in a greater way. Throw it on the ground. For me, one of the staffs that I had as a young man, and God had called me into the ministry, and I had was running from God. I, I didn't want I, I didn't want to have to leave my job. I was doing well financially. Uh, we were comfortable. Uh, I the company liked me. Uh, I had ideas of going climbing up the corporate ladder, and I wasn't interested. And God had that little burden on my heart, going to the ministry, going to the ministry, going to the ministry. It's like, God, I I don't want to do it. So we left Concord. We grew up in Concord. Tammy and I moved from Concord to Vacaville because I believed that God couldn't go into Solano County because he couldn't cross over that old... the old rickety bridge of some of you have been around for a long time, the old Benicia Bridge. No one wanted as, as, as bad as the old Antioch Bridge, right? It's like, no, God can't go over there. And God pursued me, right? And there would be days where I would go upstairs when we had a two-story house and the kids weren't born at that time. I'd go upstairs and I'd just cry out to God, God, I'm miserable. I'll, I'll teach junior high boys, right? I mean, that's like, you know, I don't know. I don't believe in purgatory, but that was kind of what it felt like, all right? I mean, I'll just do that. And God kept hounding me, hounding me, hounding me. And one of the big problems that I had was my parents were getting old. And my older brothers had all moved away. And I felt an obligation to care for my parents. And I knew that God was going to call me. He wasn't going to call me to stay in Concord. He was going to call me to go elsewhere. And that was the big wrestling match that I had in my life. And I finally came to a point, and Tammy was was absolutely awesome and very supportive, and we finally, I came to a point where it's like, I can't do it anymore. I got to throw the staff onto the ground. And so we went up to look at a church, uh, look at a school in Oregon. It didn't work out. We came back. I applied for a school in in Abilene, Texas, and was accepted. And our house was going to be for sale in Vacaville, and it was selling. The market was good. We drove to Abilene, Texas to look at the school and to meet with the recruiter and get an apartment and all that kind of stuff. And we went, we went there, and I, I don't know if it was our first stop, but I think it was our, close to our first stop. We stopped at our gas station to go to the restroom, and she went into the restroom, and she came out, and she said, there is the biggest spider I've ever seen in my entire life. We're not staying here. So I don't know if God divinely pointed that spider to be in there, but uh, we went ahead and met with the recruiter and all that stuff, and it just didn't feel like a good fit. Um, It's a very churched area back in Texas. I'm not from a church background. I relate better with folks who don't or haven't been in church their whole life. And so I just, we didn't feel like it was a good, it was a good place. 
so we came back. But here, here's what I want to share with you. The thing that I held on to as I look back in my spiritual journey was, was not wanting to, to abandon my mom and dad. And God broke me. And I threw it on the ground. And I said, God, I'm not going to allow that to get in the way. And the interesting thing is, as I came back after that trip and it didn't work out, our house fell through escrow. The, there was in some issues. So we were able to stay there. I met with a pastor. And he says, you know what? There's a new school in Pleasant Hill, of all places, that is starting up. You might check it out. Great guys. It might be of interest to you. And I went to school for a short time in Pleasant Hill, right, which is like 10 miles from where I grew up. And in that school, I sat next to a guy named David. David was the pastor of this church. And we hit up, had a friendship, and he said, hey, you want to work in youth? We can't pay you anything. And I said, sure, I'd, I'd be happy to do that. And I am here today because of that. And I believe with all my heart that it was throwing that staff, mom and dad, taking care of mom and dad, where I threw it on the ground, where I had to rely completely on God. And my biggest concern was abandoning my parents. And guess what he did? He brought me back to an area where I could take care of my parents. And ultimately, they came in and were a part of the church before they passed away. Right? Every single one of us has something in our hand that's preventing us from God using us in a greater way. It can be a relationship. It can be a kid's. In my case, it was my parents. And it may not even be sinful. It can be finances, and it's preventing you from trusting God in a greater way. And you have to, as God calls out, church member, what's in your hand? And you've got to throw it on the ground, and you've got to trust him in a greater way. And for Moses, when he finally threw it on the ground, later in his life, that staff became a rod for God to work in and through. And when we finally get to a point where we release it, then he uses it in a way that will glorify him, not you, will glorify him in and through our life. And when, as we look at our life and we think about being on mission with God and being the message, I can assure you that you're holding something in your hand and as you look through life, you're saying, I could never do. Well, no, you can't when you're holding it. And it's skewing your vision of who God really is. And you have to throw it on the ground and then begin to trust him in a greater way. And folks, when you do, when you do, you will feel a sense of relief and purpose in your life. And as I said before, there is nothing more thrilling than to be in the dead center will of God and know that the hand of God is on you And he is working in and through your life to touch the lives of other people. There's nothing more exciting than that. And we may chase fame and fortune and whatever else it is out in the world. But I'm I'm telling you, it has nothing. It has, there's no comparisons to what God can do in and through your life. And so as we just kind of wrap up, as we wrap up, you're called to influence If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, I don't care if you came to Christ last night or you've been a follower of him for 100 years, 
You're a call to influence, to be the message. What excuse are you using? And let me just head you off at the pass and go, eh. no excuse is a good excuse when you're looking at God. And if it isn't an excuse, what's in your hand that you need to throw under the ground so that you're able to serve him and move forward? So I'm going to ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes. And with your heads bowed and your eyes closed, as we close out the series, God has placed a holy disturbance in all of our lives. There's something that you are passionate about. What is it that's preventing you from following and being obedient to that calling? Father, as we sit here and we're humbled in your presence and we recognize that there is no excuse that's a good excuse when we recognize who you are. And we recognize, Lord, that there is nothing that gives us security in this world other than our personal relationship with you. You love us. You are the supplier of all good things. You are our provider. Nothing else gives us that security. And Lord, we just humble our hearts and we place all that we have at your feet. We throw what's in our hand aside and we ask you, Lord, use us. To create a holy disturbance in our life that moves us, that compels us into your action. With your heads bowed and your eyes closed. Maybe you're here today and you've never given your heart to Christ. And I want to give you that opportunity to do. To invite Jesus to be your Lord and Savior. And We just go through something simple. It's ABCs. A is admit that we're sinners, that we're all sinners. B is believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. That he died on a cross and that he rose again. And C is to confess him to be your Lord and Savior. And if your desire today is to enter into that personal relationship with Christ, just repeat silently, not out loud, just repeat silently these words. They say this prayer. Just say, Lord Jesus, today, I admit that I'm a sinner that I made mistakes. And I believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, that he died on a cross and that he rose again. And today, I confess him to be my Lord and Savior. Lord, thank you for loving me. Lord, thank you for saving me. Lord, thank you for giving me a new start. And Father, as we give back to you a portion of what you blessed us with, we pray, God, that you will bless those who give. We pray, God, you'll bless the church with wisdom and discernment in the resources that you've blessed us with. And we give you all the praise and all the glory. And all God's people said...